Hello and welcome to the second Hogan Lovell's Pensions podcast. I'm Faye Jarvis. It's been just over four months since the new conditions for transfers out came into force and we've also got the stronger nudge regulations coming down the line. So we thought it was quite timely to uh, pause and, and just see what's happening in practice in relation to these new requirements and how trustees might think about addressing some of the issues that are cropping up. So I'm joined today by Edward Brown, who is a partner in the pensions team with me here at Hogan Lovells. And so, Edward, could you just give us a refresher on what these new transfer requirements are? Sure, absolutely, Faye. Well, they've been in force since the uh, beginning of December last year, apply to DB and DC schemes, and they apply whatever the size of the benefits in question. And what they do is they restrict members' rights to take a statutory transfer because they require trustees to make an assessment about whether there are any flags present. Are there red flags? If so, the transfer cannot proceed. Are there any amber flags? If so, the transfer can proceed, but only if the member goes and takes advice from the Money and Pensions Advisory Service. Now, one of the difficulties with all of this then is that once you tease through the legislation, you've got about three different standards of proof that the trustees have to use to work out if they think one of these flags exists or not. So it sounds simple to begin with, but the more you delve into it, the more of a mess it becomes. And so presumably that's why we've had some guidance from the pensions regulator, who I think is trying to be helpful, um, particularly by talking about the fact that trustees could have safe lists. How are you seeing these work in practice if in fact we're seeing them at all? So I think the regulator is trying to be helpful, and I think safe lists are very sensible. Um, I'm seeing a different approach between administrators. Most administrators are willing to have a safe list. They will typically compile it themselves using their own experience. What they will say to trustees is, um, we're not giving, we're not going to allow you to rely upon the fact this is 100% safe. We want you to tell us to use it, and you may want to talk to your legal advisors about it. But basically, it sort of comes to us we have a look through it. Does that seem vaguely sensible? Yeah, it does. The administrators should know what they're doing and the trustees say, okay, fine, we'll operate a safe list. And what a safe list basically means is that um, you will only undertake limited due diligence and not ask too many complicated questions for transfers to the schemes on those safe lists. And they're typically the big um, big providers of insurance, pensions provided by insurance companies, etc. The sort of high, high street names that people are very familiar with. Um, That said, I am seeing some administrators who still have not yet got a safe list. Their uh, internal legal departments are worrying about liability, so they won't even, in fact, compile one to give to trustees and say, do you want us to use that one or not? Um, And that is very unhelpful because what it means is then some administrators are taking the approach, we're not going to have a safe list, we're going to do a comprehensive due diligence process for everybody, and we're also again going to encourage you to, you've got to use our new scam service, which has been an optional extra for quite a lot of um, schemes for a while, that complicated transfers could be sent to the scam service, for which of course there is usually a fee, but in this case administrators are saying, well actually, do you know what, we're going to send everybody to the scam service and we're not going to operate a safe list. And I don't think that's I think that's very good. I think that's very sensible for trustees. But uh, as I said, I am seeing different administrators taking a different view on that. And another thing we seem to be hearing a lot about is issues around overseas investments. Um, can you just sort of explain what this issue is um, and what you're advising clients to do about it? Sure. Well. There are basically there are lots of things in the regulations that shouldn't be there, but the one that definitely 100% isn't supposed to be there at all is an amber flag about overseas investments. So one of the amber flags is, are there any overseas investments in the receiving scheme? That's what the legislation says. Now, when you think about it, 
the vast majority of receiving schemes are going to have overseas investments. You know, your your personal pension scheme with one of the big insurance companies will quite clearly have some sort of global equities fund or something. There's a, clearly investments outside the UK. They are overseas investments. But if you ask that question, are there any overseas investments, and you get the answer yes, then that is an automatic amber flag. And off member has to go to the Money and Pensions Advice Service. But the regulator in its guidance says, well, actually, the specific concern here, they say, well, it isn't about any overseas investment. It's about whether the investment is in assets or funds where there's a lax or non-existent regulatory environment or jurisdiction with opaque corporate structures, they say. Well, that's all very good, but that's not what the legislation says. And the problem is the legislation is very binary. Are there any overseas investments in the receiving scheme? There's no interpretation around here. And I don't really think, I'm afraid, that there is a way that trustees can get around that. I don't think you can say, we're just going to follow the regulator's guidance and interpret overseas investments like that. Um, and the reason I don't think trustees can do that is because we have seen a whole spate of cases before the Ombudsman, whereby if a member has taken a transfer out, but the exact process wasn't followed or industry best practice wasn't followed, there is a danger the Ombudsman will uh, order that member to be reinstated in the scheme again. So uh, I'm afraid I think this is a clear case of an error in the legislation. It isn't supposed to say what it does. But my advice to trustees is, unfortunately, I think we have to follow the legislation rather than trying to rely upon the guidance. However, we are hearing encouraging noises that the DWP has uh, recognised that they do need to change this. And so hopefully it won't actually be an issue for all that long before it's corrected. Yes, because I can see that otherwise the trustees run that risk of even if the scheme that member transfers to isn't a scam arrangement, something happens with the investments that they've chosen where it doesn't provide the income they would have got had they remained in their existing scheme they have regret risk and actually they've got something to point to to say the trustees didn't comply with the law Ex exactly no 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 exactly as you say it's not it, the sort of schemes we're talking about they're not going to turn out to be scam schemes but it is about that regress regret this point absolutely so it sounds like there's a, some teething problems. Are there any other teething problems or common themes that you're seeing? Well, one, I have had some administrators raise questions as to whether they're actually the best placed persons to make some of the assessments. Because, for example, one of the other amber flags is if the investments are high risk, for example. And the regulated guidance then says that we're you know, trying to assess whether the investments in the receiving scheme are high risk or not. It uh, talks about, um, you know, you, you've got to make an assessment based on the reasonable judgment of the current market at the time of the transfer request. Well, actually, a lot of people who are doing the day-to-day -day administration will not necessarily be the people who will be reviewing the market, working out what investments people are transferring to or not. They may not actually have some of the expertise to be able to deliver that. And you may get into situations, I think, where the administrator will say, well, there are these investments, they might be high risk, we need to raise it with you as the trustees, but actually you may want to go and think about asking one of your other advisors or asking one of your consultants, well, actually, is that is that a high risk investment or is it not, actually? Is that now becoming more standard? So I think things like that are also, are also quite difficult. Yeah, so it sounds like there's quite a lot of tricky issues for administrators to grapple with. I'm afraid so, yes, I'm afraid so. Um, this is what happens if you get regulations drafted in a hurry, rushed out three weeks before they're supposed to come into force, with no, which are a complete rewrite of the draft regulations we had back in about May last year. Uh, I'm afraid it's all very unsatisfactory, and I can well see how trustees and indeed administrators will find this quite irritating. However, while that's irritating, just in case anyone listening here thinks they've got time to relax, of course, we've got some more changes coming down the way shortly, Faye, haven't we? So do you want 
to talk about what the new stronger nudge regulations require and to whom do they apply? Yes, so we've got these new stronger nudge regulations coming in and they're going to apply to any member with money purchase benefits and that importantly that includes AVCs or any member who's got cash balance benefits and it's going to apply if the member wants to take their benefits or transfer them out of the scheme. And what these regulations do is they effectively prohibit trustees from proceeding with that member's application until the member has either um, confirmed that they've received some guidance from PensionsWise or they've given a notice to the trustee or the administrator opting out of the need to take guidance. So could you be in a situation then with the combination of the regulations I talked about and the regulations are about to come into force, you're telling the member you need to go and talk to both PensionWise and the money money helper with the money and pensions advice service? So potentially, yes. Um, and I think there are some exemptions to the nudge requirements. For example, if a member is under age 50 um, and they're wanting to transfer, then the, the, um, the requirements don't apply. But if you can't rely on the exemption, then it is possible that you will have a situation where I think the member could be nudged to go and speak to PensionWise first, because that will have to, I think, be the first step in the process, because you can't progress that application until you know whether they've taken that guidance or opted out. But then you do your due diligence on the receiving scheme, you identify an amber flag, and actually then you have to go back to the member and say, right, now it's time to go off and talk to uh, Money Helper, which is, is part of MAPS. And then bear in mind that if this is a member who's got uh, defined benefits as well as AVCs, they may well have already spoken to a financial advisor if the value of their transfer is over £30,000. So in potentially, you could be taking advice and guidance three times in your transfer out process. Dear mate, members are not going to enjoy that, are they? They're going to find that incredibly confusing, particularly since, of course, the scam, one of the lines of scam schemes often use is saying uh, that the, the scheme you're in, they want to keep hold of your money. Which we, of course, always say is not true, but you can see why a member might start to become suspicious that that's what this is all about. Yeah, exactly. And communication is going to, I think, be really key here. And because schemes have got a bit of time before these new requirements come in, I think actually looking, one of the, the key things trustees need to be thinking about is updating their member communications. Things like scheme booklets, if you've got a newsletter going out, giving an update on this. So that this doesn't come as a surprise and members aren't suddenly shocked when they're told first to go to pensions wise and then later... Uh, to money helper. So I think that's where some of the real benefit is going to come. Otherwise, if you don't communicate well on these issues, you're going to have lots of um, frustrated members who are likely to complain. No, I, I mean, I suspect you're in danger of having lots of frustrated members, even if you do communicate well. But it, it, anything else trustees should be doing apart from updating their communications? So I think the other thing with this and with the transfer conditions is obviously engagement with your administrator because they will be doing this on the ground for you. So you want to understand what their process is and what updates they're making to their own member communications if you're using their standard forms. Also, how are they going to assess whether an exemption will apply or not? Um, there is the, the age 51 is fairly easy to do. There are some others, um, such as whether the member is transferring or in order to access their benefits that are perhaps harder to, to determine how is administrators going to deal with that more importantly how are they going to record that assessment so you've got a record of it for a later date um, and then i think the final thing is to think about this will apply to ongoing cases as well as new cases after june and so how you're going to manage that where you might be perhaps towards the end of a case about to almost process the benefits the member contacts you about their case and then you've got to send them off to pensions wise even though you're about to perhaps process the transfer so I think early engagement with your administrators to make sure you're comfortable with what they're planning to do, how they're going to 
approach this, how they're going to record, keep the records of everything is going to be really critical. Goodness me. So it's, it's referred to a stronger nudge towards pensions-wise, but surely isn't this in fact a great big shove in that direction instead? Yes, effectively, yes. Although you cannot opt out, but even that is not straightforward. You can't just be on the call to the administrator and say, well, that's very nice, I want to opt out, let's just get on with this. You will have to go away, perhaps hang up, and then bring them back and, uh, and then opt out. So you can opt out verbally. So there is perhaps an easy process for members who do want to opt out, but I think it is more of a shove shove than a nudge. It, it does sound like it, doesn't it? Well, it sounds to be fraught with difficulty for, for trustees and administrators, doesn't it? Well, dear me, and on that depressing note, but there we go. But thank you very much, Faye. That's been, that's been a very interesting discussion. Um, and thank you, everyone, for, for listening. Um, I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. Our next podcast will be in uh, July, subject to be determined. Uh, but I, I hope you've enjoyed that. Thank you very much indeed.